questions, especially when it comes to the topic of the day, heaven and hell. So just to get you thinking about some of those immense, immense questions, why don't you watch the screen and uh, take in a couple guys with some questions about heaven. Do you think there'll be tots in heaven? What? Tots. In heaven. Well, like angels with pearly deep fryers cooking them up? Man, it's heaven. And just rain tots. Or they grow on trees. Tots on trees. That's your idea of heaven. There won't be any tots on trees in hell. I can guarantee you that. Look, if we eat in heaven, I think it'd be something healthier than this. Like carrots or apples. Not something that's going to give you a heart attack. Dude, aren't we dead? I mean... Your soul can't get a heart attack, and you don't even have a body in heaven. Then how are you going to eat your tot? Maybe it's a spiritual tot. Spiritual tots. Colonics got them, others don't. Big questions? You know, we get to this topic, and there's lots of stuff floating around there. Lots of images and ideas about uh, heaven and about hell. So, I mean, we can't answer them all, because we only got how long? About five minutes, thank you. I just thought I'd clarify. I wanted to know what the target was, okay? So we only got about five minutes or so, maybe a little over, but uh, we only got a little while. So we're not, I mean, we just can't answer, answer it all, right? But what I want to do is take you to Scripture this morning and uh, just let, the, again, once again, let the Bible show you the, the, the images that it uses to answer this question about uh, heaven and hell. What about heaven and hell? So let's start uh, asking some uh, questions and just... Do it knowing that uh, what we're going to look at is, is not the full picture. We just don't know the full picture. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians says, we see in the mirror dimly. Okay? We see in the mirror dimly. You know, we just, we don't, I mean, the Bible can't give us the whole image, the whole picture of what it's going to be. That's out in front of us, right? But it does give us some images that we can grab onto and say, okay, I understand, I get what uh, hell, what heaven uh, is all about. So let's start out with uh, the tough one, huh? Uh, what is hell? What does the Bible tell us about uh, uh, hell? Well, we can go to a variety of different uh, passages, and uh, I've given you many of them out of the Gospel of Matthew, but I think if we walk through these passages, you're going to see a common thread about the image of uh, uh, the biblical description of the reality uh, of hell, that it is uh, real, and what happens there is equally as real. If you go into Matthew 22, um, Jesus says, So the king gave orders for that person to be tied hand and foot and be thrown outside into the dark. That's where people will cry and grit their teeth in pain. What's the image? Darkness and pain. Right? Okay? If you uh, Go to Matthew 8 now, so we're different chapters, so totally different context than Matthew 8. There's another verse where, where Jesus says, But the one who should have been in the kingdom will be thrown, but the ones who should have been in the kingdom will be thrown out in the dark. They will cry, grit their teeth in pain. Same image? Darkness and pain, right? Not good? Then you go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13 the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they'll gather from his kingdom everyone who does wrong or causes others to sin. Then he will throw them into the flaming furnace where people will cry and grit their teeth in pain. But everyone who has done right will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. If you have ears, pay attention. Are you paying attention? When it comes to the image in this verse, you see the same pain, 
discomfort, anguish, right? I mean, the repeated image, the repeated word, if we're paying attention to what the Bible says, is the reality that hell is that experience of anguish, pain, darkness. Everything that is wrong in the world is captured in the images the Bible uses to describe uh, hell. And it uses other images as well. If you go to Matthew uh, 25, Matthew 25 just says, go into the everlasting fire. Right? Again, another image of burning and pain. Right. The word that the Bible uses most often when it uh, speaks uh, uh, hell, uh, and it happens with Jesus 11 times, uh, he uses the word Gehenna in the Greek. Now, Gehenna in the Greek was a word that was used to describe uh, the valley of Hinnom, which was a valley that ran southwest out of Jerusalem. And if you were of a Jewish background, you knew about this valley because it was in this valley that two of Israel's kings sacrificed their sons to pagan gods. It was known as the valley of death. It was the valley where this apostasy took place where two kings of Israel took their sons and sacrificed human sacrifice to these pagan gods. Eventually, this valley not only became the place that was understood to be a place of this kind of death and rebellion against God, right? But it also became the garbage dump. It became the place where people just dumped all their garbage outside of Jerusalem. And so it was a smelly and it was filthy and and, of course, they had fires going all the time, trying to burn up all the, the garbage that was there. So for those folks in that arena, when they wanted to describe the image of the worst possible place you could spend any time, their description was Gehenna. Make sense? If you wanted to capture an image in Jerusalem of the absolute worst place you could imagine spending any time, Everybody knew that place. It was a place of death. It was a place of rubbish. It was a place of rebellion against God. It was Gehenna. And Jesus uses that word 11 times to describe this experience of hell. It is the worst place you can possibly imagine. And then some. And the worst part is not just that it's the worst place you can possibly imagine, and then so. But the Scripture tells us it is also never-ending. If you go to Matthew 25 again, it says, Then Jesus said, Those people will be punished how long? But the ones who are pleased God will have eternal life. What the Bible is trying to do is get us to understand this experience of hell, this reality of hell is the worst thing we can possibly imagine. And it captures it, it captures it in, in these images, and it captures it most of all in one specific phrase out of Matthew 25. It's in the 41st verse of Matthew 25. It's when Jesus is talking about the end times when, when he comes back and he separates the sheep from the goats, when that final judgment takes place. And here is the worst possible phrase, the worst imaginable word one could ever hear, then the king will say to those on his left, 
get away from me. This is the anguish of hell. This is the reality of hell. It is a place without the presence of God. And if it's without the presence of God, it is without the presence of love, grace, mercy, kindness. It is the worst imaginable experience that we could even try to imagine. And totally devoid of the presence of God. This is not a good place. And the Bible continually teaches us and refers us to the reality of this eternal existence. Now we've got an important lesson coming. You ready? Because we ask the next question. Okay, we got it. All right, it's not good. So, who is hell for? Now this, I think, is going to be a learning moment for some of you in the room. Uh, because we get this wrong, and cultural Christianity out there gets this wrong. We've got to really listen close now to what the Bible has to say in terms of who was hell designed for. If you go into Revelations 20 here, it says, when it's talking about the end times, it says, Then the devil who fooled them will be thrown into the lake of fire and burning suffer, sulfur. He will be there with the beast and the false prophets, and they will be in pain day and night forever. Right? Who's being thrown into the lake of fire? Yes, the evil one, right? We, now, remember last week, there's no mistake, we answered those questions last week about demons, right? So we're talking about that power of evil, those powers and principalities who rebelled against God. Revelation says, look, in the final judgment, they will experience being cast into this lake of fire. They'll be cast away from the presence of God and to be cast into this eternal anguish. Matthew 25 also gives us, just Jesus gives us kind of a straightforward image, straightforward understanding of it. He says, the king will say to those on his left, get away from me. Worst thing you could possibly hear, right? He says, you are under God's curse. Go into the everlasting fire prepared for who? The devil and his angels, meaning demons, right? It was prepared for the devil and demons. God did not prepare hell for any of you. God did not prepare hell for any person you know. God does not want one person to experience the eternal anguish of the absence of his presence. He never prepared hell for anybody that you know. Now, here's an important one. And God doesn't send people to hell. People do. Did you listen to that? See, it wasn't prepared for them. It's not that God prepared it and said, okay, all these people now, they get sent. No, it wasn't prepared for them. It was prepared for the devil and all those demons, that angelic host that rebelled against him. But what happens? We learned it last week. People listen to the powers of evil. And they get captured in the movement of the power of evil. And because they get captured, they experience the eternal absence of God. 
Not because God wants them there, not because God sends them there, but because they walk the path with evil and its demons. That's why, if you go into Scripture, that's why you get Jesus talking about the wide and the narrow, right? If you go into the next passage in Matthew 7, Jesus is warning us, right? Saying, go through the narrow gate. The gate to destruction is wide, and the road that leads there is easy to follow, and a lot of people will go through that gate. But the gate to life is very narrow. The road that leads there is so hard to follow that only a few people find it. Two roads, narrow gate, wide gate. What happens to people? People start following the road to destruction. The road to destruction was there for the devil and his angels and the demons. But people come along for the ride. People get captured in the movement of evil. And they walk themselves into eternal anguish. Do you understand it? This is why when people say, I don't get it. If God is love, if God is so loving, how can God send anybody to hell? The answer is, he doesn't. He weeps and cries over every person who walks the wide path with evil and the powers of darkness. People send themselves. You follow? It was never God's intention that anyone should be separated from him eternally. But people walk that way anyway. Hell was created for the enemies of God. The devil and his angels, his demons, was created for the enemies of God. And people join in the process of becoming God's enemies. Look at Colossians 1. Colossians 1 says, You used to be far from God, absent from God. Your thoughts made you his, what? Enemies. There it is. And you did, what? Evil things. What path are they walking? You see what I mean? But his son became a human and died, so God made peace with you, and now he lets you stand in his presence as people who are holy and faultless and innocent. It's not that God sends people to hell. People walk there on their own. They walk there on their own because they become captured by the forces of evil and all the enemies of God. And so they too become enemies of God. The good news is it wasn't prepared for us and it means we don't have to go there. There's a story, you know, we've been having a lot of talk coming out of Washington, so I found a Washington illustration for you today. It was when uh, Vice President Calvin Coolidge was presiding over the Senate and the Senate was having a great debate and apparently one senator got angry about the whole thing and told another senator to go straight to hell. Okay? And the senator was, of course, offended by that, and so he appealed to Coolidge as the presiding officer to, you know, straighten things out. Uh, Coolidge supposedly responded with these words, I've looked through the rule book, and you don't have to go. Isn't that cool? Now, that's the good news, right? That's the good news. Now we figured it out. It's, it's real. We figured it out it's not good. It's pain. It's anguish. It's the absence of God. We figured out God doesn't want us there. It's not prepared for us. People end up putting themselves there. The good news is you don't have to go. Not one person you know 
has to experience eternity in that kind of anguish in the absence of God. This is not God's desire. God's desire is for us to spend that eternity with him in what the Bible refers to and calls heaven. So what about heaven? What about heaven? Well, if we go into John 14, which you heard uh, read this morning, John 14 says there are many rooms in my father's house, and I wouldn't tell you this unless it was true. Okay, Jesus doesn't lie, so yeah, heaven's real. This is what it is. And I'm going there to prepare a place for each of you. After I've done this, I'll come back and take you with me. Now look at that last phrase. Then we will be together. Remember where we ended talking about the reality and the anguish of hell? It is the absence of the presence of God, right? Heaven is the incredible joy of the continual presence of God. Understand? Absence, presence. So Jesus is hanging on the cross. He is dying for each one of us and experiencing all the powers of evil, the unleashing of darkness on him. And there are two thieves at each side of him. And one starts berating him, one side. And the other says, no, 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 he doesn't deserve this. And Jesus turns to him and says what? Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Wherever you are in the presence of God, you're in the most incredible paradise you could ever imagine. This is heaven. Heaven is the experience. It is the reality of being in that continual presence of God. And when you're in the presence of God, it becomes the absolute opposite of everything we've talked about in the absence of God, in the experience of hell. If you go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter says, Praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is so good. And by raising Jesus from death, he has given us new life now. Okay, He has given us new life and a hope that lives on. God has something stored up for you where? In heaven, where it will never decay or be ruined or disappear. Heaven will be absolutely everything that is the opposite of what we've already described in hell. It is the incredible presence of God continually. And everything that is good continually. It is the the, uh, absence of decay, the absence of pain, the absence of suffering. It is the presence of love and grace and kindness. Everything that is good. The book of Revelations tries to give us incredible images of what, uh, of what this experience, this existence of heaven uh, will be like. If you go to uh, Revelations 7, he gives us this image. And so they stand before the throne of God and worship in his temple day and night. The one who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. They will never hunger or thirst again. They won't be troubled by the sun or any scorching heat. 
The lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to streams of life-giving water, and God will wipe all tears from their eyes. How awesome is heaven? It is awesome when you're in the presence of God. What, what the Bible describes for us is, is this experience of heaven is like the, the mega family reunion you could ever imagine. Right? You have family reunions in your family? Right? And everybody gets together and it's like, hey, oh, hey, good to see you. How you doing? Oh, tell me a story and laughter and playing games. It's like heaven is like the mega family reunion. When everybody in the family of God, everybody in the family of Christ will get together. It is this experience that is beyond description because one cannot describe the joy and the rejoicing of being in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. Everything else won't matter. To just be in the presence of God in this incredible reunion of the people and the family of, the, of God, it is like the mother of all family reunions you could ever imagine. Sound good? Maybe you don't like some people in your family. doesn't sound so good, huh? It's supposed to sound good, okay? It's supposed to sound good. Okay, so we got some images now. So now there's the next question then. Okay, we talked about who is hell for. Who is heaven for? Okay, who is heaven for? <clears throat> well, if we go to Matthew uh, 18, it says it this way. Jesus says it this way. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hill and go to look for the other one that wandered off? And if he finds it, uh, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Who is heaven for? Absolutely everybody. That's what it's prepared for. Heaven is prepared for absolutely everybody. When you meet somebody tomorrow, when you see somebody you don't know tomorrow, when you're checking out in the grocery store tomorrow, when you're in your office and there's a co-worker there, you've got to say in the back of your mind, look, heaven was prepared for that person. When you see the worst possible person you can imagine trapped in all the worldly things that take him away from God, you still need to look at that person and say, heaven was prepared for him. It's not just for good people. Heaven was prepared for all people. This is God's desire. It is that everyone should go, that not one should miss the opportunity of the family reunion in the kingdom of heaven, that not one should live under the power of evil and the power of darkness, that not one should walk on that wide path to destruction. Heaven is prepared for absolutely everyone. We get a great, great picture of that, a great parable that Jesus uh, tells uh, in Matthew 22, where there's a wedding feast. And in Matthew 22, the king sends out his servants. He said to the servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out of the streets, and they gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Who is heaven for? The bad as well as the good. 
Subnote. So is the church. So is Christ's church. We should not be here this morning and have only good people in the room. We are a place for all people, including all the bad people. We ought to have a lot of bad people in the room today. We ought to be overflowing with bad people who are living sinful, horrible, horrendous, hell-bent lives. Because God wants them in the kingdom of heaven with him forever. And we're the only way to turn them around and to keep them from the pain and the anguish and the absence of God eternally. Because the banquet, the feast, is for everybody. Good people, bad people, not one should perish. But if we follow through on the story he tells, he also qualifies. If you follow to the next slide, in Matthew 22, it says, But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, How'd you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? Man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, but few are chosen. What was the man's problem? He wasn't wearing the right clothes, right? He wasn't wearing the right clothes. What are the right clothes? You need to be clothed in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why he came. He came that not one should perish, that all of us could have our sins forgiven and our lives renewed, and we could have life now, as Peter says, and the promise of the inheritance of life in his presence forever and ever and ever. And what do we need? We need the clothing of Christ. We need Jesus to enfold all of our lives. The kingdom is absolutely for everyone because Jesus Christ comes to clothe everyone. The sad reality? Not everyone will receive him. Remember the Gospel of John says that the light came into the world, but some people preferred the darkness. This is the sad reality. This is the sad reality for us in this time. What does it mean for us then? Okay, we understand hopefully hell. We understand heaven. So what happens until then? What about until then? Jesus had the experience uh, with his disciples that uh, they came to him and one of the, the two of the guys came with their mother and they had a request. And they said, look, when, when the kingdom comes, when we're in heaven with you, can one of us sit at the right and the other one sit on the left? And Jesus goes through a dialogue with them and says, look, that's not for me to choose. By the time he's done... He says these words. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What do we do in the meantime? It's like Jesus is saying, listen, heaven is secure. Your place in heaven is secure. You don't have to worry about that. Heaven is secure. Your position in heaven is secure. If you're clothed in Christ, what do you need to worry about? What are you doing with the time you've got right now 
to make a difference for the kingdom of heaven in somebody else's life? Are you serving the purpose for which you were created? Are you serving the cause of Christ for which you were reclaimed in Christ? Are you giving your life totally to what God wants to accomplish in your life? Are you using whatever minute you have to be able to extend the territory of the kingdom of heaven in this place? Until then, until we receive our inheritance, it is for us to keep focused on using every moment for the purpose for which God reclaimed us in Christ. Paul did it in his life. If you listen to Paul, uh, he said it this way in the Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians 5. For we know, important words by the way, we know, so he knows this, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in where? Heaven? Yep, not built by human hands. So where's he starting from? He's starting with the awareness that says, listen, I know heaven is secure for me, right? I know heaven is absolutely secure for me. Therefore, we are always confident, and we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, okay? He knows he's not in heaven yet. Heaven is spilling back into his life. Heaven is waiting for him, but he's got stuff to do here, right? For we live by faith, not by sight, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. What's he doing? Look, I know heaven is secure for me, but I'm here right now. I'd love to be in heaven. I can't wait to be in heaven. I'm so looking forward to be in heaven. But right now, right now, this is where I am. And God's got purpose for me to accomplish, right? If you follow the next slide. So, we make it our goal to please him. What's his goal? Until he gets to heaven, he's going to live his life doing everything he can to please God. Right? He's going to do everything he can to please God. Whether we're at home, in the body, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. What's he understand? Heaven is secure. Until then, my life is about pleasing God. That's it. My life is about pleasing God because I know the incredible joy that is just in front of me. We live this life pleasing God and reaching every person we can because we know not one person should perish. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We, uh, we just receive a word today about heaven and about hell and uh, about the reality of what that is. We thank you for the promise you give us as you clothe us in Christ, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of your great love for each one of us. Because Jesus was willing to be faithful in all things and give up his life for us and to rise again and give us new life now. So we ask, help us to use this life in a way that pleases you and honors you, in a way that makes a difference so that someone else who's away from you right now would be drawn back to walk that narrow path and know the joy of the kingdom of heaven forever. Father, we thank you for the gift of heaven through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.